Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, a one-stop shop for all the pop culture made business week, brought to you by Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Gage Cleveland. And I'm your host, Mikkel Snyder. How's it going out there, folks? We once again had a very, 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 very eventful week. As you'll see, when we have one of those episodes where every now and then we try and sneak in like an extra lightning round, just because there's a lot we want to talk about, but like we just can't give everything a full on segment. So you got that coming your way. But as far as some things go this week, just so you know what's coming to top of the episode, because I hear people like that when it comes to content. We're going to cover some speculative fiction, talk about trading cards and like how that's just making the world further to be close to the apocalypse and everything, apparently. And Legend of the Hidden Temple, because that's still a thing, and it makes me very happy. So with that, first of all, Miguel, how you doing? I have a haircut, and yes. our, our folks who have been listening to us for like the entirety of our run uh, have never seen my face before, and they might never see my face ever again. Who knows? But I have, I have significantly less hair on my head and my face. So like that feels good, and I feel like a new person, and... It's also weird because the pandemic still isn't over, but we continue to exist. Like, for those who don't know, for like the past year plus, essentially, Mikhail's gone like without a haircut, just letting his hair be what it is and exist in himself, which I totally love and everything. And then on Instagram, I'll scroll this week and I say, wait a minute, I recognize that face. That's Mikhail, that's my co-host, my friend. Like, and also, but I love this like the middle ground though, because like before this, your beard wasn't nearly as luscious as it is now. So you got to keep mm-hmm. the beard, but also go back to like closer haircut like you used to have, and it's kind of the best of both worlds. So I'm all for that. So I have undergone a transformation, a metamorphosis, if you will, a word commonly used in speculative fiction. That's a segue, right? We can sure. do that. Yes, we can cool. do that. That's close enough. Basically, uh, this was sort of prompted by the fact that there was just a lot of cool fantasy, sci-fi, horror news that was just all over the place, and they're all very different announcements of really interesting IPs and projects. Uh, Fun fact, Love, Death, and Robots Season 2 on Netflix dropped uh, yesterday. Uh, We record on Saturday, so that would be May 14th, and it's just these wonderful collection of sci-fi anthology stories that you should check out if you haven't already but it sort of prompted me to like look through all of these cool things coming down the pipeline so i just wanted to share some highlight reels of some of the cool things coming out in the vague and nebulous future because the future remains vague and nebulous we got a look at 12 minutes which is an upcoming adventure game uh, published by annapurna interactive that's going to be available on the xbox and uh, pc Uh, And you basically are in a single apartment in a time loop where you play a character trying to solve the mystery of what's happening in this time loop that happens in this 12-minute cycle. And they basically released a developer commentary talking about, like, what the gameplay looks like and how you interact with it. Uh, The game stars James McAvoy, Daisy Ridley, and William Defoe which is a ridiculously stacked voice cast, which is a recurring theme for a lot of these different projects. Uh, other cool thing, uh, Amazon is releasing an anthology series called Solos, which is about like several interconnected stories with like a whole bunch of different actors that vaguely connect to each other in weird ways. But it's still like one of those vague anthology series where we don't actually know what it is from the trailer because it's just like cool imagery and this actor and actress and then cool imagery. 
But you, you have Anthony Mackie, Helen Mirren, Anne Hathaway, Constance Wu, Nicole Bahari, Dan Stevens, Morgan Freeman, and Uza Aduba? Like, what is that for cast? Like, that is fantastic! Like, I'm in! This is clearly, like, award bait, but, like, it's good award bait. Yeah, I'm... go for it. Amazon Prime continues to have a bunch of really cool stuff that you would be surprised if you found it because they don't advertise very well outside of the initial announcement. And Miss Marvel has finished filming, so like we're gonna have that for Disney Plus later this year, so that's very exciting. And this is something that's very particular to me, but uh, there's a new Stargate thing coming out, and I'm like, Stargate is this sci-fi military fiction series that ran on sci-fi for like the better part of a decade and a half. And they're, they're releasing a strategy game out of the blue, which I'm here for. I'm fine with that. And then two, three more things. Three more things. Uh, Kevin Smith's He-Man Netflix reboot had their first stills release. And again, this is a ridiculous cast. You have Chris Wood as the main character, but it also features Mark Hamill, Lena Headley, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Alicia Silverstone, Kevin Conroy, and Alan Oppenheimer. Like, what is this cast? It's, it's truly wild. It looks updated and clean. Uh... I'm not sure I need a He-Man series, but we're getting it, and it looks looks like it'll be fun. Uh, there's a new Ultraman animated feature for all of those who like giant robots fighting giant monsters, and that's soft spot, of course. And then finally, the most important news I get to bring to you on this really, really weird Saturday is that Sci-Fi is bringing a whole bunch of movies to the network, and the most w- one that I really wanted to call attention to above all else is that there is going to be a Bring It On Halloween. And if you're not familiar with any of those words I said, Bring It On is the cheerleading franchise. So, uh, it's going to be a cheerleading franchise where uh, due to, like, bad conditions, they go to, like, an abandoned school to practice, and then they get picked off, uh, presumably by Michael Myers or whoever was in the Halloween franchise. (laughs) Keith is rolling his eyes right now, but I'm so excited just for, like, the vagueness of this, like, what are they doing? This is the weirdest combination of IPs they could have done. Okay, let's do it. Come on, sci-fi, roll the dice, see what happens. So, I feel like someone in the studio just found out, like, oh, people like crossovers, what do we have? And they looked and realized that they had something completely unrelated in like a series about cheerleading competitions and a horror series about someone who like comes back to the Hellnet's family repeatedly and never dies. And like we can bring we can make it work. I don't think they can, but like it depends on what their mentality is going into. Like if they know that it's gonna be a silly joke type deal, you can definitely lean into that and make intentionally one of those movies that are like so bad that they're good. But a lot of people's pride usually get in the way and they don't want to do that. So like I could feel like I could see them genuinely trying to make this an actually engaging movie which is not what you do here what you do here is make it a joke no joke going in be willing to be laughed at we'll see how that goes huh okay now as far as the rest of this stuff i do love it there's like a theme now that the more names you get involved in the project the more excited we get and like this makes me think about invincible and how hype we got about that we saw the voice cast getting bigger and bigger over the years i'm most insanely happy with knives out too and with these big products IPD just listed, like, same thing happening here. I don't know what Solos is. I don't know anything about it outside of what you said, but I'm going to watch it because, like, I like a good 95% of the people who are listening to this cast so far. And the He-Man Netflix reboot is interesting because, as you know, I'm pretty sure we've talked about, I am, like, a really big Kevin Smith fan, but to clarify, I'm kind of eh on most of his movies, but I'm a big fan of his podcast. That's kind of how it bounces out. Like, I really appreciate, or in my life have appreciated, Clerks, Dogma, Chasing Amy, and, like, 
maybe a couple others, but not really for like the body of his work. But as far as podcasting goes, I've been listening to like multiple of his shows repeatedly on loop for at least the last like decade of my life, including like Fat Man on Batman, which is now Fat Man Beyond. Um, we have Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, the FJ News, and we have Smodcast, and we have um, Hollywood Babylon, like all of them. These are regular listens for me. So I've actually heard about this He-Man reboot for quite a while because Kevin Smith can't not talk about anything that he does. So pretty much when every time he's casting has happened, I've heard when someone came on. So he's talked about how exciting it is to have Sarah Michelle Gellar on the show and he could talk about things and like how she got to talk about how fun it was to work with him, how he's really, really close with Chris Wood after working with him on Supergirl because he played, oh, I forget his character's name all of a sudden. But in real life, he is married to Melissa Benoit, who plays Supergirl. So, like, they've always been close and everything. We're going to hit it. It's great. Mark Hamill is, like, of course, wonderful. And he got Kevin Conroy, which I know makes him, as, like, the Batman-obsessed fan he is, incredibly happy to do. And I personally am not... I'm neutral on He-Man. I'm not, like, a big fan of him by any means because Mm -hmm. it had his heyday before I was even born. And when the reruns came on, I would, like, maybe have them on in the background at most. But otherwise, I was just kind of, like, go on by my life. I think the show looks great so far, what we've seen. And I wouldn't, and I feel like it's kind of a, now, as long as it looks great, I feel like the job is more than halfway done when it comes to a show like He Man. No one's going to He Man expecting some kind of like world changing writing quality at all. So, like, the graph's kind of on the floor there. Like, from what I have seen in the He Man show, it, there wasn't an overarching story arc at all. It was like every episode, Skeletor tries to like ruin the world, He Man feeds him. They go back to do the next thing all over again in the next 15 minutes, and that is what it is. So just having any kind of an overarching theme is definitely a very good sign. Here from our Ultraman, Stargate is something that my mom is going to be very happy to hear is coming back, so I can't wait to tell her this news that's we got off the show. And everything here seems good. So yeah, like a lot of big news. Like I told you folks, we're going to sneak in a second lightning round if we could this week, and a lot happened. So we've seen many, many things spike in popularity over the past year due to us being largely stuck indoors with more free time than we'd like to have on our hands. One of these collective obsessions that's only intensified from where it already was, which is pretty powerful, was trading cards. For example, a few months ago, baseball trading cards became so popular again that an autographed Mike Trout card was projected to sell for $500,000 with autographed. It's actually sold for nearly twice that about a year ago last May. But this also expands to other trading cards, such as NBA, NFL, and mostly relevant to our audience on this show, Pokemon trading cards. The fascination with trading cards has grown so much recently with fans, collectors, and influencers, prime example, Jake Paul spent millions on Pokemon cards specifically, buying up stock at every possible opportunity that has led to people camping outside of stores overnight and even instances of violence happening every now and then among them. To help try and put a stop to this, Target, where I'm sure many of you, like myself, can remember buying some of your first trading cards earlier on in life, has temporarily put a halt on the sale of all trading cards due to the safety concerns of all the employees and their customers. This got really, really crazy really, really quick, didn't it? This is wild on, like, so many different factors. I think something that, that goes understated is that Target can afford not to sell trading cards because Target sells 17 million other different items at the store that are also much more expensive, right? But there are lots of comic book shops and, like, smaller, like, outlets that live and breathe off of card sales, and they can't afford to stop selling cards. And what you're telling me is that the big corporation decided to stop selling cards because people were inciting acts of violence 
and now there's only a couple venues to get cards. <laughs> That's not a great, great formula right there, Keith. Not sure, not sure how to say that any more plainly than like, yeah, what the like, hell? It seems like to me, the independent places, the smaller venues that do also sell trading cards, which are now the only options, are kind of in a lose-lose scenario. One of them is less of a loss, but has bigger implications. And by that, I mean, if these places like Ford's local comic book shop, I don't know if they have a deal with companies to get trading cards and directly to them. I wouldn't be surprised if most of them actually go out to places like Target and buy a box and bring them back to their stores and sell them for a profit, which makes the most sense to me personally. They can't do that right now because they don't have access to these cards, but they got to go to other places to do so. So that makes things hard for them on one side. On the other hand, if they do have other avenues to get these cards, they can sell them in their stores, whether it be from the supplier directly or from another retail outlet. They now have to deal with the fan base who was going to Target and getting in fights with people and camping out overnight and all that. And I don't know about you, but like my local comic book shop does not have the security detail in place to deal with these things when they occur. They also don't even have the space for people to camp out outside overnight to try and get Pokemon cards and like flip them for a profit. This is really, really, really intense. And like this kind of has me thinking that this is part of, unfortunately, this is like the dark side of fandom that rears its ugly head every now and then. That, is this, we don't really have a way to stop it, unfortunately, because like when people are passionate, they're going to do it either healthily or unhealthily. It's always going to be a combination of both. On the other hand, this has me thinking that I need to go home to my mom's house and look through my old car collection and see what I can flip for a little bit, because I'm like, I'm not using those, and there's clearly a demand out there right now. So this is where my esoteric knowledge about a variety of things comes into play right now. So unless your cards are perfectly preserved, they're not going to be worth much, because trading cards are uh, on a rated system where it depends on, like, how well they have been preserved, any fraying, any aging. So if those cards are just in a binder somewhere, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get money out of it. Okay, never mind, nigga. They are in a binder somewhere, yeah, that's it. If they were, like, vacuum-sealed in, like, individual things, you might be able to get something off. But uh, due to that craze, I saw a lot of, lot of videos talking about, like, the different, like, grading systems they use for like card quality and it gets really intense and because of how valuable the pristine versions of those cards are uh yeah it's i mean you should still go find your pokemon card but like don't don't expect money out of it (laughs) get them out because they make you feel good and they are nice to have secondary markets in trading cards has always been like this like thing that's never really talked about about outside of like the the trading card communities that they are a part of right because like we always say it's sort of like oh trading cards are expensive hobbies but we never really talk about that in more explicit detail but if you've ever played magic the gathering like those cards get really expensive really quickly and it's kind of wild and it's really rough seeing a giant corporation just say, so like, we can afford not to do this. As I look at all of my, my friends who work in comic shops and card shops being sort of like, what the hell, Target? What are you doing? This doesn't, this doesn't bode well for any of us. And, uh, and like, you, you compare this news, right? Well, like, people are, like, doing this for trading cards uh, what, alongside people putting gasoline in trash bags. It's just... We live in a very weird, weird time right now, and we've been saying that for the past however many months, but it still remains as true as when we first started saying it, and it's just going to get weirder.
for our last segment, uh, I wanted to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure is near and dear to Keith's heart, because we all children of the 90s who grew up watching this. And I am very happy to tell everyone on this podcast that Variety has reported that the beloved children's competition show, Legends of the Hidden Temple, would be making its way to the CW with an adults-only uh, reboot. Uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple is one of the iconic uh, parts of Nickelodeon programming alongside uh, Nickelodeon Guts, which was the other big game show during that era, with the Astro Crag and the Mega Crag and the Crag Crag Crag. I'm not sure that last one was a thing, but... Legends of the Hidden Temple stole a giant statue head called Olmec, who would give surprisingly educational parts about various like historical and mythological figures, and then kids would do a variety of tasks vaguely relating to themes there, and answering trivia questions about these things. And I'm just really excited, because Legends of the Him- Hidden Temple was like, one of those like first game shows that like I got into as a child, and it was just really fun. And my personal team were the Blue Barracudas, and I would always root for the Blue Barracudas, no matter no matter what was happening on there. And it's just a really cool show, and I'm glad that they're bringing it back as a game show for all of the people who grew up with the series, because you know everyone who watched that show is now the show's target demographic audience and uh, participation base. And... They, they made a Legends of the Hidden Temple movie a couple years back, which was cool. Yeah, you didn't know about that? It was this live-action thing, uh, low fanfare. It was... I heard it was fun. But this is more of the thing that I think people wanted, which is sort of like, give me this game show that I loved as a kid, let me do it as an adult, and if we have any justice in this world, we can espouse all of the colonialization myths that have ever happened and just dismantle them live on the CW. That That's my dream. And then I also want to give a sh- quick shout out to two other Nickelodeon game shows that, that held my heart for a very long time, uh, Double Dare and Nick Arcade. Like, Nickelodeon just produced sleeper hits of, of competition shows back in the 90s, and shout out to them. And shout out to the CW for bringing one of them back. Hearing that re- reboot opened up a lot of memories in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, you spend hours watching this show like every day. And just correct me, is this the one where they would climb the giant mountain at the end? No, no, that was Nickelodeon Guts. Okay. Uh, Legends of the Hidden okay, Temple was that there was a obstacle course that had different doors and puzzles. So after the, the crossing the moat and the trivia contest and the tasks of strength to get medallions of power... Uh, after you do all of that, your team, if they were selected, had to find the treasure hidden in the temple. And then once they found the treasure, the route would change and then they would have to get out before the time expired. Yeah, thank you. I remember that. I remember there would be some parts where going to the obstacle course, like they would be like in the obstacle course. You wouldn't necessarily see them yes. on screen for a few seconds. That part terrified me as a kid because I was like, what's back mm-hmm. there? But that's still very cool. And I think this is also a no-brainer for CW because... The, one of the main reasons why we have so many game shows and like dating shows on television is because they don't really cost a lot. Once you get like take care of like set and location, they are very very cheap to make. Just like rinse and repeat over and over and over again. So like if we can get the audience to watch this show with which with the help of nostalgia we probably will, that's going to happen. We'll not have to go on for quite a while. And I can only see I can only imagine like 
what kind of people they can pull in to be competitors on this show because they can pull in people from like our paper TV show that they want to like lean to the nostalgia. Like imagine if they had like former cast members of like all that show up on this show and compete and everything, right? Like they could do something like that if they really wanted to or they keep letting us former watchers of the show live our dreams and do this. And another thing I think this is going to do well is because remember like a year ago at the beginning of the pandemic where the like, TV studios hadn't figured out how to produce television shows yet so we were getting like very very little new stuff coming out whenever we did we would obsess mm-hmm. over it that's when the Netflix show The Floor is Lava came yeah. out and for like a good two weeks everybody watched it then we forgot it ever existed right but I feel like this can take advantage of that same interest because clearly the interest is there but they can also like dole it out week by week and have it be consistent like this could definitely be one of those shows that's just like always on the CW in the daytime like after the episodes air once in primetime or whatever that like just gonna be always there like staying home from work you work from home or whatever go on turn on Legend of Hidden Temple right so this is definitely gonna fill a lot of gaps and get a lot of watch views for me from everybody else Keith I have a very very important question I need to ask you on this podcast right now okay would you like to apply to be a participant of Legends of the Hidden Temple with me you know what? I'm down. <laughs> uh, I wasn't expecting you to say yes. Uh, we're going to have that conversation off screen. Um, <laughs> well, if we doesn't happen, you know it's not my fault, folks. Yes, that, that, that's exactly what that means. So There is an open <laughs> casting call, though. That, that is a thing. You can't tease me with nostalgia like that, sir. I mean, it was a bit. You know me and my bits. You never know sometimes. That is, I, I mean, I've entertained the idea. I just don't think I can take vacation time to go off to a remote place somewhere, presumably in California, and film for like probably only like a day. But that's still a day between yeah. travel and whatnot. But, anyways, uh, that brings an end to our typical segments, and we now go to our not quite patented lightning round, where we cover. Even more stuff that we can't talk about for 15-some minutes on end, but we still want to make sure that you know about. So, A24 continues to tease us with the mere existence of Dev Patel and David Lowry's The Green Knight with a beautifully haunting trailer that has me indescribably excited. And then conversely, Sony Entertainment continues to threaten my personal existence with their trailer of Venom 2 starring Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson. The original was not for me. And this one won't be for me either, but there are breakfast shenanigans, I guess, and there are people who I respect online who are excited about it, and I wish them nothing but the best. Comedian John Mulaney publicized that he and his wife, Anna Marie Tendler, are getting a divorce, which was further complicated later on in the week by the fact that he was now dating actress Olivia Munn, which bears like a weird whine to the news that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are back together. As we have said repeatedly, and we will continue to say repeatedly, weird times. Just just weird times. Uh, Willa Smith provided some more details about her next pop-punk music album and very excitedly announced that she would be working alongside Travis Baker and Avril Lavigne, which just good for her. Just good for her. And finally, Adult Swim and HBO Max announced that there would be original films for The Venture Bros, Metal Apocalypse, I can't pronounce that, and then Aqua Teen Hunger Force. They were getting original movies, they are in the works right now, they will be available on HBO Max, which has an incredible coffer if you can navigate through anything. So, 
If you have to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in the news, feel free to tweet us at Black Nerd Problems with the hashtag TWINN. That was this week in their news. Tune in next week for more pop culture. I'm your host, Mikkel Snyder. And I'm your host, Keith Cleveland. And please remember to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll catch you next week. See ya, folks. <laughs>